Friends, I'd like to welcome you to this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents, a program where we feature some of the wit and the wisdom of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. For over 50 years, Archbishop Sheen captivated audiences on both radio and television. Millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. It is my prayer that these meditations presented today will truly touch your heart and show you that your life is worth living. Hello, my dear friends, and welcome to another edition of Bishop Sheen Presents. I'm your host, Al Smith, and today we will share with you a few reflections from Archbishop Sheen's uh, talks on the Blessed Virgin Mary. Of course, many of us are celebrating this great feast of Mary, Mother of God, which is held on January the 1st, and so if I find it very appropriate to share uh, some of Sheen's reflections on the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so I'll share with you a retreat he gave uh, a number of years ago, and he gave a reflection titled, The Woman I Love. And I will follow that up with uh, a teaching from Archbishop Sheen's Catechism series, where he talks about the mother of Jesus. So may I invite you to sit back and relax and enjoy one of the greatest communicators of our time, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, as he talks about the Blessed Virgin Mary. Please enjoy. I'm going to talk to you about our Blessed Mother under three titles. First as a dream, a dream. Secondly, as mother. And thirdly, as spouse. We never talk about that. As spouse. First, the Blessed Mother as a dream. She was God's dream. It sometimes happens in human love that men love in ideal before they love in fact. Their experiences, readings, become like so many separate pieces of a mosaic and they frame in their own mind the kind of a woman that they would like. And one day that girl appears and the man will say, that's it. She's the one. I knew a man in Switzerland who had hanging in his home a picture of a young girl and when he moved to America he took the picture with him and when he was a boy he said to his mother I'm going to marry a girl that looks just exactly like that and he married one girl in my office who looked just exactly like that picture he loved in ideal before he loved in fact so some of you girls will be dream girls sometime you don't know it but you will be and now our blessed Lord I mean, God has a dream, namely the ideal woman. The first immaculate conception was in the mind of God. He thought of her from all eternity. Many of you have seen that famous painting of Whistler. Remember the the mother that was in the rocking chair? And someone asked Whistler, How did you ever paint such a beautiful painting of your mother? And he said, you know how it is. 
One tries to make one's mummy just as nice as one can. Well, isn't it reasonable to expect that if we pre-existed our mother, we would have made her the perfect woman? Well, God pre-existed his own mother, and therefore he would try to make her just as perfect as he could. And she, therefore, was a dream and an ideal in God's mind. I think she was even thought of as the new Eve. God made a garden, as God alone knows how to make a garden beautiful. And then he put the first man and woman into it, and they fell and lost the garden. And then God thought of another garden, another Eden, a flesh-girt paradise, which would be his mother, to be gardenered by the Adam new. And this new paradise of the incarnation was our blessed mother. I believe really and truly that she is the woman whom every man loves an ideal. I think that subconsciously she is the kind of woman that every woman wants to be. The dream of the whole human race. But she was not only a dream, she became now the mother of God the Son when he became incarnate. God sent an angel out from the great white throne of light and the angel came to Mary kneeling in prayer and asked her this question. Will you give God a man? Will you give God a human nature? Do you know that that question comes to each and every one of us when we were baptized? God said to us, Will you give me your human nature? He wants to use us too. As he used the human nature that Mary gave him. And Mary promised to give God a human nature. And finally, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Our blessed Lord, and unlike other mothers, now I've often seen mothers here in the audience, and with young babes, when those babes grow just a little older, and it happened to many of you young people, your mother said to you, there's heaven way up there. But the Blessed Mother was the only woman in the world who could look down to heaven, for she held heaven in her arms. She became, therefore, the mother of Jesus. And it was not easy to be his mother. Now, there were many trials that she had. I will not go into those, but I'm going to quickly pass over to the moment when she presented our Lord in the temple. There was an old man there by the name of Simeon. And he had been awaiting the birth of the Messiah. And when the Blessed Mother gave him the babe, there was no generation gap. There never is where there is Christ. 
And the old man said, now you can dismiss me, O God. I'm ready to die. I've seen the Messiah. But then he spoke to the Blessed Mother. And he said, a sword will pierce your heart. A sword. There are two Greek words for sword. I've forgotten one of them. The first word that I have forgotten is, is the little sword that is almost a dagger. The other word is romphi. Romphi is one of those large crescent swords. And that is the Greek word that was used. A sword of like a romphi will pierce your heart. In other words, you will have sorrow. Now we come to the marriage feast of Cana. And we're going to find our blessed Lord using a very peculiar expression. Let me picture the scene to you. There's a wedding. The blessed mother is already there. Maybe she knew the parties who were to be married, but our Lord was not there. He was beyond the Jordan. Gathering together his disciples. The Blessed Mother represented the Old Testament, and here our Lord, the New Testament, is still far off. He comes to this wedding. And when he arrives, the Blessed Mother says to him, They have no wine. Now that was serious in a wine country. First of all, wouldn't you think that anyone who had a wedding would provide ample wine? Why did the wine give out? Because our blessed Lord brought all of his disciples. They liked wine even in those days. And it was the blessed mother who was the first to notice there was no wine. She always notices our needs before we do. And she said to her son, they have no wine. Now notice the words of our Lord to her. Woman, not mother. Woman. Woman, what is that to me? Now in the original of the gospel, in the Greek, the words are, what to me to thee? That's all it is. In the original. Woman, what to me to thee? My hour has not yet come. Whenever you find the word hour in the Gospel of John, it always means the passion, death, suffering of our blessed Lord. So our Lord is really saying to his mother, My dear mother, you want me to declare myself as the Son of God? To reveal myself as the Messiah? Do you realize that the moment I do that, your relationship to me changes? Up until now, you have been my mother. But when I begin my public life, work my first miracle, you will no longer be just my mother. You will be the mother of everyone that I will redeem. You're involved in this. What happens to me is going to happen to you. And therefore I address you not as mother, 
I address you as the universal mother of all who will be redeemed by me on the cross, and therefore I call you woman. That was the meaning of Cana. With that, we pass to the cross. Our blessed Lord is unfurled on that cross like a wounded eagle. It was the last pulpit of his life. From that pulpit, see the guilt raised against the sun, soon to hide his face in shame. And he caught glimpses of figure on the wall, figures on the walls of Jerusalem. And nearby, soldiers shake for his garments. And there at the foot of the cross was that broken flower, that wounded thing, Magdalene, forgiven because she loved much. And there with a face like a cast molded out of love was John. And there, God pity her, his own mother. Mary, Magdalene, John. Innocence, penitence, and priesthood, the types of souls ever to be found beneath the cross of Christ. Our Lord now is prepared to talk again to his mother. No. Do you know what is happening now on the cross? It's a wedding. You've never heard that before? All of the scriptures is based upon the idea of a wedding. God, for example, says to Israel, I am your husband, you are my spouse. Now we leave the Blessed Mother as a dream, we leave her as a mother, and we're meeting the Blessed Mother as a bride. Yes. Who is on the cross? The new Adam. Who's beneath the cross? Mary, the new Eve. What's going to happen? Nuptials. The consummation of a marriage. So the blessed Lord looks down to his mother at the foot of the cross and says to the spouse, woman, and then to John, there's your son. And to John, the son of Zebedee, there's your mother. This idea of marriage and nuptials, which is carried over into the New Testament, is now initiated in the New Testament on the cross. As St. Augustine put it, the heavenly bridegroom comes from out his chambers with the presage of the nuptials before him. He comes to the marriage bed of the cross and there consummates his marriage 
not on with pleasure but with pain and unites himself to the woman forever. In other words, the Blessed Mother stands for the beginning of the church. Our Lord is the head of the church. He's the spouse. She's the bride. And there's already the beginning of the church, beginning of a family. It's John. Then at Pentecost, what do you find? You find how the family has grown. There are 120 there at Pentecost. And the Blessed Mother and the Apostles in the midst of them all. So that you married people, when you came to the altar, you were told. The bridegroom was told, you stand for Christ. And the bride was told, you stand for the church. So what we're happening, what is we see here, therefore, is the beginning of the church. In which Christ now is the head of the church, the heavenly bridegroom. The Blessed Mother is the beginning of the church, the new Eve. And as many children came from Eve, so many children now are coming from Mary. And this is the reason why women cannot be priests. Because it is man who gives the seed. The woman says, I mean, our blessed Lord says, the word is the seed. For example, I am giving you the word now. I'm giving you the word that is the seed of life. That was what Christ was doing. And who was the Blessed Mother? The Blessed Mother receives the seed. The woman receives the seed, nourishes it, fosters it, brings it to life, educates it, loves it. There is no question here of inferiority or superiority. Let's get it straight. It's a differentiation of function. Man provides the seed, the woman received it. And this originated at the cross. Then never, never call the church an establishment. It's the body of Christ. It's his bride. When we get to heaven, what, what, where are we going to be? We're going to be at a marriage. The nuptials of the bridegroom and the bride. And we even have in the book of Revelation a description of how the bride or the church is dressed in the linen of the prayers of the saints. And then there's the description of the way the heavenly bridegroom Christ is dressed. We will all be participants in this heavenly marriage. Going back then over the life of the Blessed Mother, she is first a dream. She is secondly the mother of our Lord. Can you imagine the divine child at her feet? G.K. Chesterton has a few lines of poetry, if I can recall them. 
He said, risen from play at her pale raiment's hem. Eternity grown adventurous with all time's repose. Up her tall body climbed as an ivory tower and kissed upon her lips a mystic rose. She was a dream. She's a mother. She's the spouse, the symbol of the church. This is the mystery we have to dwell upon in these days, for as we discontinue our devotion to the Blessed Mother, there is always a decline in the love of the church. A professor at the University of California in one of his books says, Today, whenever you hear a good word spoken about Our Lady, you can be sure he's a Protestant. Because they're writing about Our Lady. We're dropping Our Lady, and they're picking up Our Lady. For example, an English Methodist minister has written one of the most beautiful meditations on the 15 mysteries of the rosary that has ever been done. It's called Ten for Joy, Five for Sorrow. The Protestant monastery of Taizé in France has written beautifully about Our Lady. Now that you know who she is as a dream, and all of you girls should pray to be like the Blessed Mother, good and virtuous, so that you'll represent the church. Come up here, you. That little one there. Yes, come up. Come on up here. Now, this is a little symbol of the Blessed Mother. It's a little girl, isn't it? Yes. And keep, keep as sweet as you are. What is it? Isn't there a song? Stay as sweet as you are, nice as you are always. God love you. Go back now. And as a dream, as a mother, and as a spouse. So you young girls... Seek to be like her. And boys, to be pure, be devoted to her. She will keep you intact and good. Keep a statue of Our Lady in your home. Say the rosary to her every day. Every day. I was once instructing... Buffy Cobb's wife. Maybe some of you remember Buffy Cobb, the great humorist. Well, I instructed his daughter and his wife. Buffy Cobb had died an atheist. And she came to me a week after I had finished instruction, and she held up a rosary, and she said, I know what to do with all of this, but what do you do with the tail? <laughs> so I had to tell her, you start with the tail. <laughs> Say a rosary, keep an image or statue in your home and if you are advanced enough say some of the office of Our Lady if you want someone converted pray to her once when I was at Lourdes 
I was just finishing my visit, and I went down to say goodbye to her. It was about 8.30 at night because the train for Paris left at 9. And my last prayer was, Blessed Mother, send me some suffering or trial to save a soul. Now, that's a very dangerous prayer. If you think prayers are not answered, try that sometime. <laughs> but don't be light about it. It's very serious business. So I said, send me some trial or trouble to save a soul. So I ran back to my hotel, climbed up the first flight of stairs. Somebody was following me. Second flight, somebody following me. Third flight, someone running up the stairs behind me. Ran down the corridor, someone behind me. As I put the key in the door, there was a girl about 23, 24. I said, are you following me? She said, yes. I said, why? She said, I don't know. I saw you this afternoon in procession. And I just decided I wanted to talk to you. I said, are you here on pilgrimage? No. She said, I'm an atheist. Oh, I said, you're not an atheist. You probably have fallen away from the church. Well, she said, I came down with a group of atheists. There were 60 of us. We hired a bus in Holland. I said, where are they? Well, she said, they took a trip in the Pyrenees, Pyrenees today, and I just stayed behind. Incidentally, the bus fell off a bridge and they were all killed. But we didn't know that until later on. And I said, I think you're my trouble. I'm not going to Paris. I'm going to stay here until I return you again to the good Lord. Well, I stayed about three or four days and finally she received the sacraments. Then my trouble started. It's a long distance from Lourdes to Paris. I would buy a railway ticket, they would put me off the train, said it was no good. They would put me off at a station where there wasn't any food, there wasn't any water. It took me a week to get to Paris. I don't know how to explain it, why tickets were not good. I'd buy them at the railway station, get on the train, no good. Put off the train. Well, that was the price I had to pay for her soul. And then, another incident that involved Lourdes. Just at the turn of this century, and was married in Paris, just an ordinarily good Catholic girl and a, an atheist doctor, Dr. Félix Lasseur. He attempted to break down the faith of his wife, and she reacted and began studying her faith. And in 1905, she was taken ill tossed on a bed of constant pain until 1914, August. When she was dying, she said to her husband, Felix, when I am dead, you will become a Catholic and a Dominican priest. Elizabeth, you know my sentiments. I've sworn hatred of God. I shall live in that hatred and I shall die in it. She repeated her words and passed away. Rummaging through her papers, he found her will. She said, in 1905, I asked Almighty God to send me sufficient sufferings to purchase your soul. On the day that I die, 
the price will have been paid. Greater love than this no woman hath, that she lay down her life for her husband. He dismissed it as the fancies of a pious woman and decided to write a book against Lourdes. And he went down to Lourdes to write against Our Lady, but as he was looking up into the statue, he received the gift of faith. So total, so complete was it, that he never had to go through the process of juxtaposition and say, well, how will I answer this difficulty, or how will I answer that difficulty? He saw it all in its utter error and stupidity. Well, the then reigning pontiff was Benedict XV, and then came World War I. Hearing of the conversion of Dr. Lesser, Benedict XV sent for, Father, for Dr. Lesser. He went in company with Father Jean Vier, the orator of Notre Dame. Dr. Lesser recounted his conversion and said he wanted to become a Dominican. Holy Father said, no, I forbid you. You must remain in the world and repair the harm which you have done. Then he talked to Father Jean Vier, and turning back again to Dr. Lesser, he said, I revoke my decision. Whatever Father Jean Vier tells you to do, you may do. Lent, 1924. I made my retreat in the, Domin retreat in the Dominican monastery of Caen in Belgium, where four times each day, and 45 minutes each time, I made my retreat under Father Lesser, Catholic, Dominican, and priest, who told me the story. So the Blessed Mother makes converts, she pays hotel bills, she converts atheists. And how this story ever got to earth, I have no idea. But it seems that one day, our Blessed Lord was walking around the golden gates of heaven, streets of heaven, and he saw some souls that got into heaven very easily. And he went to Peter. He said, Peter, I've given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You are to exercise that power wisely and judiciously. Tell me, Peter, how do these souls gain entry into my kingdom? Peter said, don't blame me, Lord. Every time I close a door, your mother opens a window. <laughs> so remember, there's always the open window for us. And we are her children, and with this I conclude. May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain upon you forever and ever. Bye, and God love you. You are listening to Bishop Sheen Presents on the World Family of Radio Maria. We now return to the program with your host, Al Smith. Well, my dear friends, I hope you enjoyed that first reflection from Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. And, of course, we want to say hello to our Radio Maria family in the country of Canada and the United States and Australia. And uh, it has been great to, uh, of course, share the wit and wisdom uh, of Archbishop Sheen uh, through the Radio Maria family. And we look forward to hopefully one day being heard in England, Ireland, the Philippines, and other English-speaking nations. So uh, please pray for that uh, for us. 
We will now, of course, uh, continue with the teachings of Archbishop Sheen on the Blessed Virgin Mary, and we will share with you uh, a lesson from his Catechism series. And may I invite you to uh, listen to Fulton Sheen's full Catechism series, and it's available to uh, download for free on our website, simply titled bishopsheentoday.com. And we named the website bishopsheentoday.com because we need Bishop Sheen today. So there's hundreds of free downloads there at the site, and so please uh, visit that site in the near future. All right, we will now share this catechism lesson uh, from Fulton Sheen, again on the Mother of Jesus. Please enjoy. Peace be to you. Did you ever think that there should be a feminine principle in religion? Just suppose there was nothing about womanhood in religion. What a rightful protest we would hear. All religions have a feminine principle. I have on my desk a statue that was given to me by a former missionary in China. It is a statue of Quan Yin. Quan Yin, according to the Chinese legend, was a young princess who lived about 500 years before Christ. And she wanted to dedicate her virginity to God. And her father killed her. And according to the legend, a tiger dragged her into hell. And she began pleading mercy for all of the inmates of hell. So disrupted hell, so introduced charity, that the devil ordered her out of hell. So she became to the Chinese Quan Yin, the goddess of mercy. Probably just an oriental yearning for some great woman in religion. Take the Muslims. Mohammed had a daughter whose name was Fatima. She died at a very early age. And Mohammed mourned her deeply. And he wrote concerning her, Of all the women in heaven, she is the most blessed next to Mary. Did you know that the Quran of the Muslims has over 40 verses in it concerning our Blessed Mother? They believe in the Immaculate Conception. They believe in the virgin birth. Then there are African peoples who have a tradition that when a son succeeds to a throne, the inauguration ceremonies consist of sitting on the lap of his mother. In other words, he derives some authority from the maternal principle. 
Take, for example, the great Latin poet, Virgil. In his fourth eclogue, which has been called a messianic poem, he has this line. Smile, chaste woman, on thy infant boy, with whom the Iron Age will pass away, and the Golden Age on all the earth be born. And then going back to Homer, the great Greek poet who lived a thousand years before Christ, he threw into history the story of a defeated man and a sorrowful woman. And this sorrowful woman, remember, while her husband, Ulysses, was away on voyage, she had many suitors. And she said to each of them, just as soon as I finish weaving this garment, I will consider your plea. And every night, she always undid the stitches that she put in during the day until her husband came back. No one could ever understand why this great poet should have made all history understand a defeated man and a sorrowful woman until there came a defeated man and a sorrowful woman. Which brings us to the subject of the real feminine principle in religion. I believe that all love begins with a dream. I think every person has in his mind, in his heart, the image of the one he loves. It is made up of memories, thoughts, dreams, ideals, experiences. And then one day, someone appears. It's called love at first sight. It is not love at first sight. It is love at second sight. Every great love is a dream come true. Did you ever see a dream walking? Well, I did. And that is why love is very much like music. We hear music for the first time and we like it. Why? Because we've already got that music inside of our own hearts. Now, when God became man, or when he willed it on the very creation of the world, he had a dream about a mother. The woman who would be his mother when he would take on flesh would decide the time of his birth, circumstances, the people, and all of the details. He thought of her long, long before she was born. 
She was the dream come true. The world's first love. Just suppose you could have made your own mother. Would you not have made her the most beautiful, kind woman in all the world? Well, God could make his own mother. God could make his own mother in somewhat the same way that artists can create. I suppose one of the most famous of all the mother paintings is Whistler's. When someone complimented Whistler about his painting, he said, well, you know how it is. One tries to make one's mummy just as good as one can. So, Almighty God, who pre-existed his own mother, made her just as beautiful as God could. That is why she was immaculately conceived. Now, what does immaculate conception mean? It means simply that she was conceived without the stain of original sin. One thing I cannot understand is why people today disbelieve in the immaculate conception. Because most people today believe they are without sin. Therefore, they are all immaculately conceived. The immaculate conception does not mean that our Blessed Lady did not need to be redeemed like you and I did. It merely meant that from the moment of her conception, she was immune from the stain of sin. And was not this fitting? If you have a distinguished visitor announced at your home, do you not sweep the front hall? Well, if God is going to enter this world, do you not think that he should come into portals that were rather clean? Look at all the trouble that God went to to make a paradise for man. Just in order to celebrate the first nuptials of man and woman. Well, here's a new paradise. Not the paradise of creation, but the paradise of the incarnation. And should he not, therefore, make this garden much more beautiful? Should it not be a garden in which there would not grow a single weed of sin, over whose portals the name of evil could never be written? And this paradise of the incarnation, to be gardenered by the Adam new, was our blessed lady the feminine principle in religion. When the time therefore came, God sent out an angel from the great white throne of life 
the angel descended down over the plains of Esdru and came to a humble virgin kneeling in prayer and said, Hail, full of grace, which means the Lord loves you. And asked that chosen woman if she would give to God a human nature. And she said, be it done to me according to thy will. In Latin, it is fiat, be it done. There are three great fiats in the world. Fiat looks, let there be light of creation. Fiat voluntas tua, suffering on the cross. Fiat mihi secundum verbum tuum, be it done to me according to thy word, the Annunciation. When Mary, in the name of us all, said, I allow you to come in to this world. I will be your Eden. I will give you a human nature. And so God took upon himself in this cloistered garden a new nature. And from this woman, Christ is born. I need hardly tell you that there's no such thing as adoration of Mary. We have not made Mary important. It is our Lord that made her important. And then notice how he changed her role in relationship to us. Here we go to the marriage feast of Cana. This was at the beginning of the public life. Now at the marriage feast of Cana, our blessed Lord came and brought along with him from the Jordan all of his disciples. That is why I think the wine gave out. There were so many gate crashers. You just can't imagine a wedding ceremony in a wine country without providing enough wine. But in any case, the wine gave out. Now, who's the first one to notice it? The Blessed Mother. She knows our needs very often before we do. And she said the simple prayer, they have no wine. Now he gave a strange answer. He said, woman, what is that to me? Or more in the original Greek, what is mine is thine. My hour has not yet come. Let us analyze this. My hour has not yet come. Whenever our blessed Lord used the word hour, he always used it in relationship to his passion and his death. Always. For example, when they attempted to stone him on two or three occasions, the gospel said his hour was not yet come. When Judas came down in the garden to betray him, 
Our Lord says, this is your hour. Your hour. The hour of evil. The night of the Last Supper. Father, the hour has come. So our Lord is saying to his mother, the hour of my passion and death has not yet come. What do you want me to do? You want me to work my first miracle? Do you want me to prove that I am the expected Messiah, Christ, the Son of the living God? You realize that if I work this miracle and announce myself as the Christ and the Son of God, that I will be sent to the cross? Do you want to be a mother that is sending your son to the battlefield? My dear mother, if that is what you intend to do, if you want me to begin now my public life and to usher in my death, my passion, my redemption of men, then your relation to me will change. Up to this point, in our private home life, you have been known as the mother of Jesus. But the moment that I begin my redemptive work, you will not just be my mother. You will be the mother of everyone whom I will redeem. Then you will be not just the mother of Jesus. Then you will be the mother of all humanity. And I salute you. I call you now. Woman, the universal mother of the world. Three years pass. We come to the cross. In the middle of those three years, one day, the Blessed Mother worried about his long night prayers and his all-day preaching was waiting in the crowd, and someone said, Your mother waits, and our blessed Lord said, Who is my mother? And then he said, Relationship is not a blood. In the new order, relationship is of the spirit. He that doth the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, my father, my brother, my sister. Now we come to the cross. Our Lord looks down from the cross upon the two most precious creatures that he has on this earth, John and his mother. And he speaks, first of all, to his mother. But he does not call her mother. This is redemption. The hour has come. He says, Woman, And as much as a crowned head could gesture, indicating John, yet this is your son. He did not call John John, because if he called him John, he would have been just the son of Zebedee, but leaving him unnamed. In his anonymity, John stood for all humanity. So our Blessed Mother is now made 
the mother of all humanity and not in virtue of a metaphor or a figure of speech, but in virtue of the veritable pangs of childbirth. Was she to have other children, yes, but not according to the flesh of the spirit. John was the first of that long line which we are at it. Millions and millions of sons and daughters. And he said to John, this is your mother. That's why we love Our Lady. Our blessed Lord made her our mother. The feminine principle in religion. And there is no such thing as doing her on or in a way to make us forget our Lord. Suppose I visited your home. When I went into your home, I refused to talk to your mother. What would you think? You would not entertain me very long, would you? Well, do you think our blessed Lord is going to think very kindly of us? If we pay no attention to her? And we ask her to intercede for us. Because sometimes when we want a favor, we go to the mother of the one from whom we want the favor. She has some very special powers of intercession. We say the rosary. Yes, a repetition of our Father and Hail Mary. That it merely means when we love anyone, we keep saying over and over again, I love you. Why do we say over and over again, I love you? Well, because it's a new moment of time. It's a new location in space. And so in the rosary, we keep saying the Our Father and Hail Mary. It's a way of telling her, I love you, I love you, I love you. And her intercession is tremendous. So we are her children. And as her children, we never grow up. And we say to her, in the lovely language of Mary Dixon Thayer, lovely lady dressed in blue, teach me how to pray. God was just your little boy. Tell me what to say. Did you lift him up sometime? Gently on your knee? Did you sing to him the way mother does to me? 
Did you ever try telling him stories of the world? And, oh, did he cry? Do you think he cares if, if I tell him things? Just little things that happen. And do angels' wings make a noise? Can he hear me if I speak low? Does he understand me now? Tell me, for you know. Lovely lady dressed in blue. Teach me how to pray. God was just your little boy and... You know the way. Hello, my dear friends. I hope you enjoyed this reflection from Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen on the Blessed Virgin Mary. And may I invite you to uh, pick up a book or two of Archbishop Sheen. Uh, Of course, he wrote many books on the Blessed Virgin Mary. I think of the book, The World's First Love. Uh, He also wrote a book called The Seven Words of Jesus and Mary uh, back in 1945. And uh, again, I've put together a collection of Sheen's writings on the Blessed Virgin Mary, and that book is called The Cross and the Crib. And uh, you can find all of these books by visiting our website, bishopsheentoday.com. And there you will find the links to many of the fine publishers who carry Bishop Sheen books. I think of Ignatius Press and uh, Sophia Institute Press and uh, Bishop Sheen Today Publishing uh, carries a number of titles. And so all of those books can be found at the website bishopsheentoday.com. My dear friends, thanks for joining me and I invite you to come back next week. And so until that time, May the good Lord continue to bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. God love you. You have been listening to Bishop Sheen Presents, hosted by Al Smith, here on Radio Maria Canada.